Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 149. Sally's got a brand new co host. <laughs> <laughs> I kicked Jen out and I was like, I want I want someone with a sexy voice. Give me sultry. Give me like sex cells, baby. <laughs> Something very uh, how do you say COVIDy. <laughs> <laughs> I want every time oh. she laughs for her to break out into a coughing fit. Can I you give me someone c- like that? Can you cry? Can you cry when you laugh? Because it hurts so bad. That's what I want. And I got it. I got it. Uh, Baby wants, baby gets. (laughs) I told you last week, I've become a real diva. And uh, I've been making some demands that I previously did not make. Uh, It's me. It's me, your friend, Jen. I just sound very different. Yeah. Um, Oh, <laughs> um, I don't know that I have COVID. I have tested um, two at a home test and one <clears throat> one um, lab test. They all came back negative, but it's very COVID like. Yeah, everybody is telling me that like everybody's been testing negative, but um, but really with this new strain, I guess. But like, and then later finding out they're positive. So, um, you know. It, it, it either way, I'm fucking sick. And it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. I've been laid up for the past five days, and this is the best that I've felt in five days. Yeah, so I just sound terrible. So, yeah. Well, you look great. <laughs> you can't even see me. I look <laughs> like garbage. I was trying to boost you. You know, just give you a little. Thank <laughs> you. A little self confidence. You look amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I'm sorry you're sick, but I just would like to point out to our listeners how much Jen loves you. That I yes. was like, we don't have to record. <laughs> Jen, we don't have to record. And you were like, no, <laughs> I'm doing it for the listeners. I don't care if I have COVID. <laughs> and so I here we are. I don't care if I have to type with one finger. <laughs> <laughs> I will get you. I will write <laughs> this story. <laughs> Because as we all know, Jen, you are a journalist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a very serious journalist. You know what? I think this is karma, Sally, because, okay, last week when I re-listened to our episode from last week, like sometimes I realized that our humor, the way that we are with each other might not read well to listen or like if somebody doesn't get our our um, sense of humor. Uh-huh. And when I listen to it, I'm like, oh my God, I sound like a monster to an somebody that doesn't know us listening. Oh, I was saying like that I was happy that your son puked. <laughs> I wasn't, obviously. That was just a dumb joke. But I was like, oh my God, karma's getting me back mm-hmm. for saying that I I was happy that she got projectile vomited. Well, listen, Jen, can I tell you something? You know how like on Thursday we were like, yeah, we're going to go out. We're going to go party. And then I like texted you and you were like, I've got the flu. And I was like, happy you had the flu. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say I'm happy. (laughs) Like I wasn't mad at the flu. <laughs> because you didn't want to go out. Because yes, I you know me. You guys, I love uh, I love a canceled plan. I love gosh. to I love a plan when it comes through, but I equally love it when a plan gets canceled. She sure does. <laughs> I've been trying to drag Sally out to this like bar that I've recently discovered. I don't want to give it away. I don't want everyone to go there. But um <laughs> it's this bar that's kind of like 20 minutes away from here and it's basically a friend of mine brought me to it and I was when I walked inside I was just like what is this magical place? It's this <laughs> um it's basically like a Florida time warp bar like from the you know 80s late 70s um just like so many different kinds of people just so many great characters and the the bar is just amazing people still smoke cigarettes i'm not a fan of that yeah that's that's where i i was like i don't know (laughs) 
but I'm a fan. Is it weird that I'm a fan of the idea? (laughs) (laughs) But so I'm like, you got to come with me to this place. They do karaoke on Thursdays. And so I had convinced her to go. And I will go. I will. If you had been like, yeah, I'm up for it. I've been like, awesome. Let's go. Like I had cleared my evening. But then like once – you said you were sick. I was like, well, now I have nothing to do. And that's the best feeling in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Now I can like do that with no guilt. So yeah. Um, Yeah. But I wish it was just like an overnight thing and not COVID or not COVID, whatever you have. Yeah. um, You know, it's just, it's the, it, uh, it's part for the course whenever it comes to uh, the week of my birthday. I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or like any kind of birthday plan that I yeah. ever make for myself at any time. I actually didn't make plans this year. I made no plans for myself. I was told, um, I was like, oh, I need to text a child and be like, what do you want to do for your birthday? And then nothing. Nothing. You're sick. Yeah. Sick as hell. We'll, we'll be doing nothing. <laughs> well, we'll do something next oh, well. week when but, you're feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. No, no biggie. No, no biggie. <laughs> no biggie. Um, Whatever. All right. Well, let's get Um, into our quickies. All right. Let's do it. Um, My quickie this week comes from an article from Newsweek.com written by Sarah Santora. All right. This is about a Reddit post that has now gone viral where a bridesmaid was asking for online support um, because she was thinking about skipping her brother's wedding. for the fact that she couldn't get anyone to tell her what color dress to order for the ceremony. (laughs) It's under, am I the asshole? You know, we love, am I the asshole? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So this sounds really strange. Like, you know, like, like at first glance, you're like, what? Nobody will tell you the color of the dress to get to the ceremony. But when you hear the whole story, it really sounds so bizarre. And I can understand why this this woman is like gaslit into being like, fuck it. Fuck you guys. Yeah. And <laughs> be in your wedding. Um, and so this post has gotten more than 19,000 upvotes and over 2,600 comments Wait, from up. which everyone agreed that the bridesmaids should drop out of the bridal party. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. This is her post. Okay, so she lived across the country from her brother and his fiance. She said, I was surprised when his fiance asked me to be a bridesmaid because I barely know her, but she said that she wanted to have all siblings in the wedding. I made it clear that their wedding was during my final exam week and I wouldn't be able to help much with planning or be present at things like the bachelorette party, bridal shower, etc. But they ended up still having her be a bridesmaid, and then they put her in a group chat with all of the other bridesmaids so that they could talk about bridesmaids' dresses. Yeah. She said, links were sent with three styles of dress to choose from, of which we would be updated on colors later. So a couple of weeks go by, and I ask what color to order, and and the bride said that she's still thinking about it. A couple more weeks go by, and she's still thinking about it. And then a couple of more weeks, and she said, you get the idea. Now it's at the point where I don't order this. If I don't order this dress in a couple of days, it won't be here in time. So I ask on Saturday, what color? No response in the group chat to me. <gasps> like nobody in the group chat responded yeah. to Yeah. So then when she acquired again on Sunday, she was scolded by some of the other bridesmaids who said that she was causing the bride intense anxiety by not having a dress yet. <laughs> like, why don't you have a dress? She's like, Just tell me the fucking color and I'll order the dress. And so, oh my God, this poor woman. And so when she asked, um, and then... But when she asked them again what color dress she should order, they all ignored her. (laughs) And she said – and then she said, I can't tell if I'm being purposefully excluded. And then finally she called her mother – who said that the bridesmaids' dresses were lavender. But the thing is, is that lavender wasn't an option of the color of the dress that they had decided on on the website. So, like, she couldn't pick lavender. So when she texted the maid of honor for the exact shade, the maid of honor said she, quote, unquote, didn't remember. (gasps) Oh, my (laughs) God. So shady. (laughs) I know. Can you imagine how you'd be like, I'm losing my fucking mind. Like, 
I just know. tell me you don't want to be me to be in the wedding. It's I know what the hell is happening. I would like I would question everything. Yes. <laughs> I would like totally question my sanity. And then so she ended up calling her brother, not the one that was getting married, but a different brother. And it turns out that he was getting the same treatment from the groomsmen. So like none of them were giving him answers to like what he needed to order or whatever. So now both of the the brother and the sister are thinking about dropping out of the wedding party and skipping their uh, brother's day. Oh my so God. most of the redditors are like, leave that fucking wedding. And um, some of the comments were, I don't understand why they can't just tell you what color to order. Yeah, nobody can. This one person that said that she was not the asshole said um, – Sounds like she doesn't really want you and is possibly a bridezilla. It really seems bizarre that no one can or will tell you the color of the dress. I would ask in the group chat if you don't get a response within the actual answer, a, a response with the actual answer within 24 hours, politely buy, bow out of the ceremony and tell them you can't wait to see them at the wedding, which I think is a perfectly acceptable thing to do. I mean, I, I think that's go yeah, to the I was wedding like, at that not point. a perfectly, I would be like, Look, I don't know what's going on or what I did, but like this is so ridiculous and childish and I don't want any part of this. So, you know, I would love to be a part of my brother's wedding, but this is you obviously don't want me to be a part of it. So I'm not gonna. Yeah. Like and they're doing it to the brother too. I'm like, and who has friends that go along with that shit? Yeah, like how everybody went along with and like it's still I can't even fathom that there was a conversation that was like, hey, I invited my um, soon-to-be sister-in-law to be a bridesmaid. She's going to ask us questions about <laughs> the But whatever you do, do not give her the answer. Like, that is so – I can't believe that that conversation took place. Yeah. So that's how my – like, where I still believe that, like, I can't believe that this is – something crazy is happening here, but I can't believe it's as crazy as that. Like, do you think is just it? like her her texts aren't going through? <laughs> like, what is? Do they have God, her all on yeah. silent? I don't know. Like, it's nuts. I'm like, kind call, of call maybe her or call your brother. Yeah, that's this. There's got to be that's got to be a different yeah. explanation. I'm like, how about instead of going to Reddit, just call your brother and call the soon to be sister in law and be like, what's happening? <laughs> like, why am I yeah. not? Why can't you tell me what color the dress is? This is really confusing. Yeah. I feel like there's got to be a simpler answer than the fact that she convinced an entire, entire bridal party to dodge this one very specific question. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It just seems strange to me. But I I understand how frustrating and how like maddening the situation must be for this person. Yes. So. I don't know. It's a wild story to me. That is a wild story. That's my quickie. And there's no word if she went to the wedding or not. I'm going to keep, you know, me being a professional journalist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep looking into this and I'm going to try to find out if she went to the wedding or not. Or if there was an update or what really happened. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, Sometimes people write updates, which I love. My quickie comes from a CNN article by Jalen Beckford, and it's also a wild story. All of this information comes from court documents, so we don't know a ton of details about this, but this is about a Missouri woman who's identified in the court documents as M.O., and she said that she started dating a man who was identified in court documents as M.B., um, and they started dating in late 2017. And sometime during this relationship, the couple had sex inside of the man's 2014 Hyundai Genesis, which they describe as a luxury sedan. So how do you... (laughs) Does it shift itself? Have you ever seen Buffalo 66? No. It's like one of my favorite lines in any movie is like, I drive luxury cars, cars that shift shift themselves. This is a shifter car. Shift themselves. Um, So the woman alleged that... The man had previously, like previously before she met him, been diagnosed with HPV, Um, but she that he did not tell her or take any measures to prevent transmitting the virus to her. So at a gynecology exam about a year after the relationship began, she was diagnosed with HPV and she later learned that she had contracted the virus from the man. So. This is where it gets crazy. So knowing that the man was insured by Geico, 
The woman sent a letter to the insurance company in February 2021 demanding a million dollars in damages for negligence and negligent infliction of an emotional distress. And apparently at the end of her like demand letter, she was like, let me know. <laughs> I think it's so funny. Like, let me know what you think about this million dollar damage charge. So Geico investigated the claim and they were like, yeah, the... Whoa. The man, they first they said, well, he he told you he was diagnosed with the throat cancer, which is like can be caused by HPV. So basically they're like, well, he basically told you. Um, and then they said that he had not been diagnosed with an STD before 2017, which is also like kind of contradicts each other. They also said they suggested the woman might have been infected from another sexual partner, which, of course. Um, and then they argued that the couple had sex mm -hmm. in locations other than the insured vehicles. Um, so in April 2021. Oh, well, I just got this just like clicked with me. So she's like, it's because they had sex in the car that she's yes, claiming. that she's like, I got damaged in the car. Oh, okay. He's, oh my god, he's insured in this car. <laughs> so we're I'm I'm suing his insurance company or making a claim under his insurance. Isn't that crazy? So, so Geico denied yes. like denied the coverage and refused her settlement offer, and and so it was sent to an arbitrator. And basically, what an arbitrator does is like, like it's kind of like mediation, but whatever the arbitration decides as far as like the facts and the settlement amount is like binding so um mm -hmm. like the ju a judge might be like oh well the these facts the the determination of the law is different but like they can't change the facts that the arbitrator finds so the arbitrator actually found that the sexual act the sexual activity inside the insured automobile directly caused or directly contributed to cause to the woman infecting being infected with HPV, despite the fact that the man knew about it beforehand. So the arbitrator, even though she only asked for a million dollars, the arbitrator found that $5.2 million would fairly compensate her for her damages and injuries. So then Geico is like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. What? So they appealed it to like the circuit court and the circuit court was just like, yeah, sorry. I mean, they, you could have like stepped in here at any time and you didn't. Like, you just thought it was like a joke. And so you owe this money. <gasps> so, like, Geico was basically like, you know, the injury, this policy only covers like injuries out of like ownership, maintenance, use of the automobile. And they also were like, this woman like could have, like, basically, she could have prevented this by not having unprotected sex. Um, so the, the, the appeals panel actually sided with the arbitrator and said, yeah, um, they let the $5.2 million stand and they, they uh, denied Geico's appeal. So the panel said Geico did not take advantage of entering a defense and instead denied coverage and refused to defend the insured. So whether or not they'll actually have to like pay it is kind of unclear because the insurance company is contesting the decision in federal court. Um, so we'll see what how that goes. But isn't that nuts? Five point two million dollars for having sex in the car. Oh my god, that's insane! I'm going through like a <laughs> mental rolodex of like what kind of fucked up shit has happened to me in a car that I can right <laughs> that I can contact Geico for. Yeah, like. Just like all the, you know what I mean? Yes. You're like, just be, I'm trying to think of an example, but I get, I'm like, I've definitely closed my finger in a door. 100%. That hurt. I've definitely, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've choked, I've choked on a Dorito. <laughs> Geico. What do you think I'm going to get? I've had, uh, I've had crying fits I've in my car. I've hot coffee all over myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've been very sad in my car on multiple occasions. Just last week, I got puked on. to cry. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to make an insurance claim against my son. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's my quickie. Gosh, that was oh, crazy. Man. I've gotten sunburned. From driving on one side of one <laughs> road for too long. Just on one elbow. Yeah. You know how anyway. crazy oh that looks God, in a sundress? <laughs> People laughed at me. That's a really emotional crazy. damage. <laughs> totally. Oh, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. 
Do you know this is the most fun I've had all week? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad I could be a service. (laughs) I've been asking you all week, what can I do for you? (laughs) So happy to talk to someone. (laughs) You told me nothing. I couldn't bring you anything, but you didn't know that I could bring you joy. No, I am definitely a, I'm fine. I don't need anything. I'm fine. I don't need anything. But you know what I do need? I need company. Somebody, I need somebody to talk to me. I need company. And I also need somebody to carry the like 50 pound bag of dog food that's been sitting on my front porch for oh, five days now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too weak to carry it. Inside. When I'm at my peak performance, yeah. I can push this thing inside yeah you get it to the stairs you toss it up over your shoulder (laughs) oh no i can't do that yeah but But in the state i'm in right now i don't stand a chance against this you're just gonna like dog food open it out there start scooping (laughs) from it 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 lives there now (laughs) gotta use it until it's light enough (laughs) i have no choice when your kids come home make that they're like (laughs) their job (laughs) just be like i like just like, I have an adventure. You guys figure out how to get this dog food all the way down the stairs. Go. Who can get it first? <laughs> like, have them fashion, like, some kind it's of like a pulley team, system. Team building. Yes. Yeah, like a Rube Goldberg experiment. Yes. Yeah, that's a good idea. That'll mm-hmm. knock tomorrow out. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I'll supervise from the couch. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. But seriously, though, are you ready for a crazy story? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. So ready. I have one. Good. <laughs> um, this week's crazy story came from a few different places. Uh, one is an article for starcasm.net uh, written by staff. Um, an article. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite writer. <laughs> I love staff. Uh, an article for thecinemaholic.com written by uh, Shraman Mitra. Mm-hmm. And an article for the New York Post written by Murray Weiss. And then an article for CBSNews.com also written by staff. (laughs) Man, staff is working these days. (laughs) (laughs) Staff is getting paid. Um, But And then also an episode of Who the Bleep Did I Make? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Jeannie Callahan met Stephen Trantel in 1990. Um, They're from Long Island. Oh, my God. Do you know where I'm from? Do you know them? You know, I can't believe that I don't. (laughs) I can't believe you either. I thought you guys all knew each other out out there on on Long Island. I know. I don't know these people, but um, but I do now. So she was out drinking with her friends when she spotted Stephen. She said that she was instantly attracted to him. She, she said that he was 5'9 and had blonde hair and blue eyes, and I guess that was her thing. She was really into 5'9 eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, okay. Blonde hair and blue eyes. So she was really in- – so she was – and but and she was like, she I was love very attractive, like mid height, <laughs> just like a real. To me, that's tall. Five nine. I'm five. I don't four. know. I got a lot said. of. I got a lot of inches to work with. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded terrible. <laughs> that sounded really bad. But you know what I'm saying. Uh huh. Hey man. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> wink, wink. So, wink, wink. So, anyway, she was very attracted to him when she saw him. But then, um, when she went to speak to him, he was super outgoing and friendly, and he kind of won over all of her friends because he was so outgoing. And they kind of just hit it off from there. He was also a commodities trader on Wall Street, mm-hmm. so he had a good job, which is always a nice thing. And and Jeannie herself was also like she was beautiful and she was fun and outgoing. So the two of them together just hit it off. Yeah. And then um, th- just three years after they met on September 16, 1994, they ended up getting married. They were very much in love. They bought a house in Rockville Center, Long Island. I actually don't know Rockville Center. I don't think I do I either. I know. Um, sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so they had two sons. Um, they had two little boys, and Jeannie ended up leaving her job in sales to be a stay-at-home mom and take care of the boys. And um, can I tell and- you what's crazy is sometimes when you do like the years on this, like they got married in 2016, which I already had a try. That's when I had Max was born. In- no, 1994, September 16, 1994. Oh, okay. 
Did I say 2016? I thought I heard 2016. Are you, are you gaslighting me, Seth? <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me what color your dress to wear. Just tell me what fucking year they got married. Okay. Okay. Sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. Obviously. No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> September 16, 1994. Three years after they met, they got married. Gotcha. I said a lot of numbers there. I was tripping you up. <laughs> so um, too many numbers. I just grabbed sorry. onto 16 and... And then I was like, dang, those people got married, had two kids, and have had TV shows made about them, <laughs> and did something real fucked up that we're going to find out about in that time. That's all. That's not that, that long a time. <laughs> they did a lot of stuff in, in a lot of time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just to wait. She quit her job to be a stay-at-home mom. And Stephen, um, everyone said that he was a really great dad. He was super involved. He loved his children. And he even like coached the Little League team. The most important thing to him was providing a really good life for his family. So he was obsessed with work and obsessed with earning money. It was all about making money, making money for the family. Um, and, you know, in stocks and trading, it's it's a roller coaster. You know, one day you're, you could be like on top of the world and and they would be. It was like one day they would be swimming in money, and then the next day they would be flat broke. Yeah, just because of the way that the trading went. Um, so it was super stressful for him. The one thing that always calmed him down, and and you know, brought him joy was fishing. That was kind of like his relaxation. So uh -huh. he went fishing a lot. That was his favorite thing to do. That's how he relaxed. But in the summer of two thousand three, uh, two thousand three, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> 13 years after they met. <laughs> yes, you're very good at math. Um, Jeannie started to notice some real changes in Steven. Um, he was he he wasn't the like fun outgoing guy that she had originally married. He became increasingly stressed out and easily agitated. Um, she said that he became um, quote unquote mean and nasty is what she said. She said that um, she would ask him what was wrong, but he would just say that, Oh, it was stressful on the floor, stressful on the floor, like this dog mm. trading floor. Yeah. Um, for those of you that, that don't know about <laughs> stacks and bonds and stuff. I don't. No, I don't either. I was like, who, who are these people that do it? Was that you? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I don't. So I, I learned it from this show. Uh, so um, she thought that maybe he was having like a midlife crisis um, and that um, she also thought that maybe he was having an affair, um, which she asked him about and he denied. But she became so frustrated that at one point she said that she took her rings off and gave it to him and told him like, unless you change, um, oh, then wow. you could have this ring because I don't want to be married to this person here. Like you're not the man that I marry. Yeah, dang. So when this is like breaking the fourth wall, like, like I like to do on these shows, <laughs> they kept like interviewing her best friend for some reason. I can't remember the name of this woman because I'm a really good journalist. But <laughs> they Tammy, kept, Sammy. So let's say Tammy. They kept interviewing her and she would just chime in and be like, listen, I'm no psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> But I did stay at a Holiday Inn last but, week. But uh, <laughs> he was not being himself. I will tell you that. And like she, like her comments really served no purpose other than filler. Filler, yeah. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh. But but I was a hundred percent into it. <laughs> <laughs> she was oh. like, "Look, I'm no psychologist, but have you tried Mary <laughs> from down the street's tortellini? It's to die for." Anyway, who are we talking about? All right, listen. <laughs> I don't know what goes on between two people in a marriage, but uh, something was wrong. So things seemed even more wrong when Jeannie started getting calls from the mortgage their mortgage company saying the mortgage was overdue. To me, I would find that alarming. Uh, but yeah. when she <laughs> when she asked him about it, he would just say, "Oh, it's nothing. I'm handling it. It's I've paid it. Don't worry about it. Whatever." So she just didn't worry about it. And then one day on, on Thanksgiving Day 2003, 
Jeannie, um, Stephen, and their kids went to go see the Thanksgiving Day Parade in the city. And while they were driving into the city, she noticed that he was driving like erratically. Like it was just from lane to lane to lane. If she said that it felt like they were in the middle of like a high speed chase or something. And she kept telling him to slow down, but he was changing lanes like crazy, like someone was chasing them. Yeah. And, you know, he just ignored her. That night after the parade, they like went home and fought about it because she was like, what is going on with you? Like yeah. she said that she was terrified of him but he was supposed to go fishing the next day Mm -hmm. and she was happy for him to go fishing she was like good go get out of the house um so then uh, so on the morning of november 28 2003 steven left for his fishing trip he kissed Jeannie goodbye and then left to go fishing with uh, actually Jeannie's uncle rod they were supposed to be home by lunchtime and just before noon Stephen called Jeannie to tell her that he was almost home but when 1 30 rolled around he still wasn't home and um Jeannie called her uncle and um he was like no yeah he dropped me off at noon and he was supposed to go straight home I don't I don't know where he is, but by six o'clock, he was still not home. And Jeannie actually had um, a wake that she was supposed to go to. So she ended up just leaving and going to the wake by herself to pay her respects. But in the meantime, she was like, what is going on? Because he would never miss this wake. Like they didn't say who the wake was for, but she knew that something was definitely wrong. And then when she got home, he still wasn't there. But then at 9.20 p.m. that night, Jeannie received a phone call. Um, and it was the police letting her know that Stephen had been arrested. Oh. Yeah. Well, so do. he was he was pulled over for a broken taillight, but he was actually arrested for something completely different. Was it he cocaine? Was ar- no. <laughs> um, he was arrested for robbing 10 fleet banks all what? over Long Island. Yes. Holy apparently. Shit. He was living a double life. Known he was um, known to police as the Long Island bank robber. Holy cow! That's I was amazing. living in New York at, on Long Island at this time, and I I never heard of the Long Island bank robber. Now, I mean Joey Buttafuoco, yes, <laughs> I mean, sure, yes, all the greats, all the Long Island greats. <laughs> But not the Long Island bank robber. But anyway, um, so he had robbed multiple Long Island banks with the total adding up to $65,000 from different banks. And police had all of these heists on video and they spent four months chasing him. Um, but they couldn't, It's again, this the show, it was like, but he kept outsmarting them. <laughs> and like... <laughs> And the the reason he um, outsmarted them was because he wore a baseball cap Uh to hide his face. (laughs) And what? He wore glasses. No. And gloves. That was some Clark Kent shit. I know. (laughs) And so what he would do is he would put on his baseball cap and glasses and gloves and he'd wait in the line. And then he would hand the teller a stick-up note, like put the money in the bag kind of thing and um which doesn't sound all that sophisticated to me but you got you gotta believe that the police on this episode were like we just he was he was amazing he was always one step ahead of us (laughs) yeah first it was the hat and then it was the gloves and then it was the glasses can you even believe it then they said they said um there there was this one day we had surveillance set up on the south shore we had we had um cameras over here police over here ready for him on the south shore but then he hit up the bank on the north shore Um, but he did make one mistake he wasn't that sophisticated what he did was he left a fingerprint on one of the stick up notes and when they ran the prints on um, the fingerprints they were able to match the fingerprint to a previous arrest for a DUI that he had had when he was younger and so they that's how they found their guy. But when the, I mean, when told, people are like, why should you not drink and drive? Like, that's got to be the number one reason. Right. Exactly. So when you, you rob them, never rob a bank. <laughs> They're going to find you. Exactly. Um, so Jeannie, when she found out about this, she didn't believe for one second that he was guilty. She was like, no way. There's no way that he did this. They've got the wrong person. And she tried to um, get 
proof. Like she was like, once they see, you know, that you were at work, you were at work, you were on this, the trading floor. Mm-hmm. She called his work and they're like, we haven't seen him for months. Yeah. He doesn't work here anymore. And, um, and all of his coworkers were like, yeah, uh, I haven't seen this guy. And then that, and then a few weeks later, Stephen finally confessed. Apparently he had been fired from the New York commodity exchange for losing too much money. And he was stressed about making ends meet, you know, like that was the most important thing to him right. was providing for his family. And he was stressed about making ends meet and he was scared that they were going to lose their house. So he decided that the only option was you know, to rob banks. Obviously. The only right. option. <laughs> I mean, listen, like this is insane. Like you should never rob a bank or rob anybody or steal you know, but there's a part of me that like really like feels bad for this guy because he like, you know, sure, just, yes, yes, absolutely. I know it's, it's like, the dumbest. Like I shouldn't, but I I feel like he didn't hurt anybody. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he I mean, scared the shit out of people. It was wrong. Yeah. There are a million things wrong with it. He scared people. He put people through a lot of stress, and he stole people's money. That's like all so wrong. But there's a little part of me that sympathizes for him because he was just really trying to just like provide for his family. But I mean, I guess you could also apply to other jobs. You could apply to other jobs. You could talk to your spouse. You could like yeah. get along You're with right. your family. Absolutely. You know, all of the Absolutely. things. Like you could be like, hey, honey, remember how you quit work? Maybe you could go back to work. <laughs> like I lost my job because it turns right. out commodities is a really volatile market and <laughs> – I don't know. No, no, nobody totally, knows how to do it. You're totally right. I but look, <laughs> but look, if but I do feel bad for him because I think that is like one of the hardest things ever to be like, holy shit, yeah. what are we gonna do? And also robbing banks, you know, it's like there's a reason why we kind of like romanticize robbing banks because it is mostly a victimless crime, and you're like, banks suck, so yeah, why not rob them? Yeah, they're insured. I'm, I'll just say I'm conflicted on this one. Yeah. Um, so so what he would do was he would get up, act like he was going to work, but really he was out robbing banks. He would At first he started going to the library to research how to rob banks, which that kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Like Because back then, I, I'm pretty sure it was like, you know, where you had that like the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> <laughs> We were working with computers in 1993. I think we were working with like the cards, and there was like bing rubbing, bing rubbing, bing rubbing, bing rubbing. Oh, that's point zero 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 seven eight three one two. The visual just makes me laugh. But anyway, so he um, came up with the plan, the very sophisticated plan that he learned from researching how to rob banks was that he would wear the glasses and the baseball hat, and then casually walk into the bank looking like a customer then hand over the note, get the money, and then he would casually walk out of the bank, throw away his hat and glasses, and then just walk away. And he was able to do that 10 times. So That's it really was a good plan, I guess. Yeah. So um, Jeannie had no idea. But um, so after he was arrested, he ended up serving nine years in prison. And in May of 2004, um, shortly after he went to prison, Jeannie filed uh, divorced Stephen. Even though she had divorced him, she really wanted him to stay in touch with his children, so she would take them to visit him regularly. And 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 he remained very much in their lives. And he was released in 2012. Yeah. And he decided to rebuild his life. He got his own home and he had more time with his children and made sure that he had a good relationship with them. Yeah. And um, he actually appeared on the Dr. Phil show to talk about his side of his story to the public. And apparently he now lives in New York and is in Employed as a manager of an Applebee's. All right. So he did find a job. Yeah. Good for him. It took and it's yeah. a little, you know, it's a little circuitous route, but he got it. Yeah. So, you know, he, he says that he, right now he has a beautiful relationship with his children, but I and I think that's great. Yes. And so Jeannie said that this while this was like 
you know, a really hard time in her life, it completely changed her and it gave her strength that she never knew that she had because she went from not working to, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with stay at home moms, but I'm just saying that was her situation. She worked three jobs to provide for her kids. She lived independently and worked on herself. And in 2010, she actually wrote a book about the ordeal called Disguised Blessings. Really? Um, All right. Yeah. Talking about the experience with the robberies and how how it changed her life. And then um, she was also on Dr. Phil. Look, everybody's going on Dr. Phil. <laughs> everybody's doing it. What? Yeah. Dr. Phil, hit us up. <laughs> no, I can't with that man. I can't. <laughs> I cannot. I can't. Sorry. Steve Harvey hit us up. Steve Harvey hit Dr. us up. Dr. Phil, go, go home. <laughs> go fuck Dr. yourself. Phil. <laughs> so anyway, um, she was also on the Today Show, 48 Hours, and she was on this show. You know, she was doing her rounds, selling her books. So um, good for her. It's like it, it's unclear whether or not they ever like, you know, made amends with each other. But um, she, as of right now, she is still living in Rockville Center, New York, and she's working as a realtor. All right. So Good for both of them for moving on. Jen, that's a like a crazy story with like a nice a nice ending. Everybody came out okay at the end. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. What a good what a good one. Hey Jen. Hey Sally. Are you ready for a love story? I am. Well, this isn't a traditional love story, but it is a story of love. <laughs> Um, okay. So, okay. So I got my information from two articles in CNN by Catherine uh, Sochette and um, from the Good News Network by staff. Okay. Tracy Peck was running errands on a Saturday in late April of this year when she started getting all of these texts and emails from her first her tennis coach, then her best friend, and then one of her daughters. And they all were asking her if she had seen this CNN story. They were like, this has to be about you. And so at first she was driving and she's like, I don't I have no idea what you're talking about. So then finally she pulled over and she opened up this article. And in it, she sees, first thing she sees is a picture of a letter in her handwriting. And as soon as she saw it, she knew what it was from. She was like memories of this plane ride she had taken 23 years ago, came back, the memories of this chance meeting and her rushed letter that she had written on the back of a hotel stationary envelope, a note to a stranger that she had no idea had inspired this other person to be searching for Tracy for the past decade. So it all started in huh? yeah it all started in 1999 when Ida Zuga and her sister Vanya were on a plane from Amsterdam to Minneapolis. Ida was 12 and her sister was 17. The two were fleeing the war in their home of the former Yugoslavia. Um, they don't say exactly what part of Yugoslavia they lived in, but um, they apparently had escaped from bombing and had been sent on a plane alone, just the two of these girls as refugees to go stay with their brother who was a college student living in Minneapolis. So their parents put them on a plane and were like, get out of here. So these two girls, of course, you can imagine they're 12, they're 12 and 17. They are like frightened. They're confused. Ida spoke no English at this time and Vanya only spoke just a little. They knew nothing about where they were going and this new life that they had been forced into. And so the sisters like sat on this flight and – a woman boarded and sat in the third seat in their row while the woman's friend sat in the row across from them. And to Ida, the two women appeared, she was like, they looked like they were in their late 30s. They both had tennis rackets they placed in overhead bins. And then during the flight, um, her sister Vanya talked a little bit with the women, especially to the woman seated next to them. And she told them about the girl's story and about why they were going to to America. The woman was knitting and she had the girls help her to kind of like calm them during the flight. And then before the plane landed, the woman seated next to them, handed them an envelope and was like, don't open it until you get off the plane. So when Vanya and Ada um, got off the plane in Minneapolis, they finally looked at the envelope and inside were a pair of dangly earrings that the girls had been admiring on the woman. And then also, yeah, isn't that cute? And then also a hundred dollar bill. And then on the outside was a note that read, to the girls from Yugoslavia, I am so sorry that the bombing of your country has caused your family problems. I hope your stay in America is safe and happy. 
Um, and it says, welcome, love, a friend from the plane, Tracy. Aww. So for Tracy, she thought, you know, the note was maybe just a small gesture. But to the girls, it was like an entire lifeline. Ada said that the $100 what was what fed them for an entire summer while they stayed with their brother and waited to be placed with the host family. Um, Vanya said, we both just looked at each other, me and my sister, and just hugged each other because that's all that we had. And it was just amazing that somebody was willing to spend that kind of money on us. And like even more than the money, the note was like super meaningful to both girls, especially Ida. Once she was able to read the English, she saw how the word safe was underlined. And she said, it was the first time that I felt like relief. This is a safe place and we can build a future here. She said, I think that's why the, the letter really resonated with me at the time, because we went from like this drastic horror into this beautiful act of kindness. Wow. And she said that she treasures the letter because as time goes by, I've experienced that in most spaces, welcomes like this are very uncommon. She said that she, you know, when they first got to the U.S., they were they were refugees, which was like such a kind of a bad word at the time, right? And um, and and still now, of course, like refugees are often not welcomed, um, even if they're let into the country. So they have both of the sisters faced a lot of discrimination over the years. Ada said, I tried to erase my entire identity just to feel accepted, only to realize that was never going to happen. So yeah. she said that Tracy's note was like a diamond in the dark, and it's a big reason she kept it. And why 23 years after the girls got the note, Ida has been continually trying to look for this woman who the only thing she knew about her was that her name was Tracy and that she played tennis and that was it. So she has actually over like the last 10 years has been looking at this envelope for clues. She chased down leads. She reached out to hotels because the letter was written on the back of a hotel envelope. So she reached out to that hotel. She reached out to the airline that she thought that they would, had flown on. She talked with reporters. She posted on Reddit. But for over 10 years, she hadn't been able to find Tracy. So Ada works for a nonprofit and a refugee organization. And so a couple of different refugee advocacy organizations posted this video um, that Ida, I'm going to call her Ada or Ida. I think I've been going back and forth, but we'll call her Ada. So that Ada had written, like posted on Twitter and then they retweeted it on this video. She had said, I want to be able to find Tracy to thank her for her generosity, for her kindness, for empathy, for welcoming my, welcoming my sister and I. And I was wondering if you could help me find her. So she actually had started renewing every year around Memorial Day, which was when they arrived in the U.S., she would do something to try to find Tracy. Um, she would do that on Memorial Day and Thanksgiving because she says this is like the celebration of gratitude. So it always reflects about the moments of kindness that have shaped, shaped my life. Um, yeah. So so she had posted a couple times on Reddit, you know, asking like, hey, here's all of the clues I have. Can you help me find like, can, does anybody think of like other ways I can look? One, uh, one person like was like, hey, you know, based on that timing and where the woman was coming from and you knew she had like they remembered the tennis rackets the french open was right around there maybe look for tennis tour companies and then other people were just like hey that is like a beautiful story like i can't help you in your search but can you tell me how i could be a tracy for someone who is coming to be my new neighbor or citizen and friend which is like Aww. she thought was so beautiful to both of the girls who are now obviously women, the letter and the gift from Tracy actually shaped how they live their lives today. Vanya, the older sister, is now 40 and she's an anesthesiologist. And she says that getting the envelope when they first arrived in the U.S. helped her to like she tries from now on to be generous and she pays it for whenever she can. And Ida, who is now 34, says she would love she, her like big want is to be able to talk in English with Tracy and to tell her how she works for nonprofits. She actually co-founded a consulting company um, and represents Massachusetts as a delegate in the Refugee Congress. And so she's like, I am doing these good things like because of the kindness that someone showed me. 
So CNN picked up this story from like all of the efforts that Ada made trying to find Tracy. And they wrote this big story about it on May 2nd. So that is a story that Tracy Peck's friends were sending her when she was in the car. And they just knew that it had to be her. Um, So her friend Susan Allen was just like, knowing Tracy, this is exactly what Tracy would do. She said that Tracy has is a such a generous person who doesn't think twice about helping others so her friends are texting her and tracy remembered exactly the flight she said back in may of 1999 she'd gone with a group of 18 other women to paris to watch the french open and play tennis and she remembers very clearly sitting next to the two sisters who were fleeing the former yugoslavia on the flight home she said she remembered how young and frightened they were how they reminded her of her own daughters And how their experience fleeing war was heartbreaking and unlike anything she'd ever dealt with. And she said she had no idea how much that envelope would come to mean to both girls. Um, And she had no idea that the girls had been looking for her for over a decade. So apparently when she read the CNN article, she's now, she's 70, Tracy is 70. She's a massage therapist. And she was said she was just tears streaming down her face. She said she worked really hard to teach her own children to be kind, um, told them that you never know how your actions affect others. And she said she never imagined she'd experience such a stunning example of how truly important an act of kindness can be. So she didn't know how to reach the sisters, but she was like, I have to try. So her family and friends went out with like a whirlwind of tweets. Like, how can we, how, we have the person, how can we get them to the sisters? And so within a day they had, oh, sure, yeah, they had gotten them together and they were on a zoom call. And the first uh-huh. thing that Tracy said was hello, beautiful ladies. And Ada said that she noticed that she was wearing dangly earrings just like she had when they met on the plane. And Ada was holding the envelope saying, it's been more than 20 years. And Tracy said, I have been forever changed hearing how much this affected you and how it turned out and how you guys have turned out. I'm so happy. She said, it warms my heart beyond anything I've ever experienced in my life. She told the girls that they um, that they touched her heart so much she felt compelled to help in some way. And Vanya said she was at home at her home in Connecticut with her two kids, and she said, "Your generosity is still in me because I've been paying it forward ever since." So they talked about um, about how much they want, like how much they want to keep in touch and and learn about each other's lives. They talked about the possibility of meeting up in person, like maybe on a Memorial Day together, because that was when Ada and Vanya came to the United States. And Tracy promised that whenever the sisters would come visit, she'd make them the best pancakes they ever had because they had used that $100. They said that they had eaten pancakes that entire summer with the money that um, that Tracy had given them. Oh, wow. And then, and Tracy has five children, three daughters and two stepsons. And she says that she now feels like she has two more. Tracy said they may have been strangers 23 years ago when she wrote that note, but now they're family. Aww. There you go. I love that. Isn't that sweet as pie? Just, you it's know. so good. It's like be a nice person. Reach out because yeah. you don't know what that is going to do you for somebody just- else. Totally. And the butterfly effect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how many people they helped because you helped that person. Yeah. Just that one you little know? act of like, let me take this and write them a sweet note. Yeah. yeah. It's like just tell her the color of the fucking dress. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. That's all you got to do. Just you can tell change me the dress. Lives. <laughs> We need to know the color. <laughs> no. oh, but that's I love that story. I think I'm like sorry to make a joke. No, but, you should. I mean, make but a this joke. is a comedy podcast. You better fucking make um, a joke. But no, it's uh, no. Um, it's great. Yeah, it is great. I love to hear that. I love it too. All right, well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay, you're first. I guess I go first this week. Um, for something dumb, I'm definitely gonna say um, it has been getting whatever it is that that I have. Yeah. Um, not I don't it, the flu, COVID. I don't know whatever it is. Um, it sucked. <laughs> it was hard. It <laughs> yeah. was hard. Like yeah. I was like, 
miserable. And the worst part was like, I only get, you know, I have split custody with my kids and the time that I have with them is like so precious to me. Yeah, And so it like, it was only one night that I like, well, it was like, no, it was two nights. Cause on Monday night when I started feeling bad, I felt so bad. I couldn't like play with them. I was like, guys, mom's going to lay down. Yeah. <laughs> and then like I had it, I took them to school. Like I mustered all the energy I had to drop them off at school on Tuesday. And then like, I was just done for. Yeah. And you're so like, I can't. Their dad came and got them Tuesday night. So I was just so sad to like miss time with the kids. Yeah. It's like and you already feel crappy and then you feel guilty yeah. on top of it and yeah, just sad because you're like, your kids are so great. Worst. Yeah. I know. And um, so, yeah, like that sucks. But what I love is um, um, all my friends that like reached out and offered to bring me stuff. Think you did. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I did. Um, <laughs> and Jill, like I, like Jill, I did break down, and I was like, "Can I have some power?" <laughs> <laughs> Because I knew she drives by my house to go to work, so yeah. I didn't feel that bad asking. Because she, she kept asking, like, do you need me? And I was like, I need Powerade. Like, so she brought me – but she brought me, like, a fucking case of yeah. Powerade and, like, a <laughs> stack of magazines and, like, chicken soup and, bre- like, a ton of stuff. Like, yeah. way more than – I just meant, like, can I have, like, one bottle of Powerade? <laughs> and so – but she's – so thank you, Jill. Thank, thank you to everybody. And um, I love my friends. And, um, and also Sally, I, um, you had recommended this show to me, um, the sex lives of college students. Oh, the sex lives of college girls, college girls. And then, um, my Kristen recommended it to me too. So I'd like, it only took like, you know, five more people to recommend it to me. (laughs) I'm glad, I'm glad that my recommendation (laughs) meant so much. (laughs) And COVID. (laughs) Thank you, COVID, <laughs> for me to, to be like, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> it's actually really good. And it's funny because, like, I actually know one of – well, I won't say I know him, but I hung out with one of the guys that's in it. His name's Mecky Lepper. One, the, one of the last times I was in L.A. Um, and I was – uh, I hung out with Ismail Ludfi, and yeah. he was fr- he's friends with Mecky, and um, we like drove around the city all day. And I was like, I know that guy. Oh, yeah. And so um, <laughs> it's just so funny. That's like a fun. It's funny when you're a comedian and you're watching TV because, it, like, in every television show, you're like, I know that guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I feel like <laughs> every. I'm guy. just like Jesus. Okay, well, there's some, he's in that commercial. And there there's we go. That person. I know that person. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, cool. But um, so glad for my success. <laughs> yeah, I watched a lot of a lot of stuff this past five days where I'm like, oh look, like I watched Fire Island, which was also great with um, and then I was like Joel Kim Booster, yeah, which is uh, we know, <laughs> yeah. Bone Yang, Matt Roger, yeah. like you know what I mean, and like and it's like I got a lot of a lot of TV watching done the last <laughs> five days. Good, you so highly that. recommend. I recommend. The show that Sally recommended a long time ago. <laughs> that I recommended like five months ago and then also recommended again last week. <laughs> you guys, she knows what she's talking about. And I also recommend Fire Island. It's a really great, funny movie. And Joel Kim Booster is amazing in it. And so is Bone Yang. And yeah. Matt Rogers are all amazing. Um, yeah. Highly, highly talents. recommend. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Um, okay. Well, I'm my – I wasn't going to say anything dumb this week. Because it's all love, but I it is dumb that you got sick. I that's I've whatever you have, I've had COVID and it's a real bummer. Um and it's just a bummer like how long it lasts because I don't I mean, I know you I was saying to you, I've like I've never really heard you with a sick voice. Like you've you know, you've obviously gotten like a cold for like a day or two, but I've never heard you like actually sick. I don't think you get sick very often. So I fight it with all my might. Yeah. Um, I, and yeah, I just, it's it's so hard to be like, oh, I literally can't do anything for like five days. It's my worst nightmare. Yeah. It really is. Like for me to have to sit still and be in my own thoughts, it's right. my worst <laughs> fucking nightmare. Same. Same. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's dumb. Uh, but what I love is that today is my anniversary when we're oh, recording yay! this. Yeah, it's Ben I and I's sixteenth wedding anniversary. That's so amazing. Yeah, the anniversary. 
Um, so yeah, so the thing I love is my husband. He's great. He's a real gem. Um, and He's I love the him. best. And also, I, I love you. Loves ben. Because I when love you, you. When you guys hear this, it's going to have been Jen's birthday. So say happy uh, birthday to Jen. You don't have to. I'm going <laughs> to. Do it. Everybody do it. You don't, really don't have to. Get on, oh. get on email. Get on our Instagram. Blow up her DMs. Happy birthday. Uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you old as shit. Happy birthday. <laughs> um, so those are the things I love. Uh, you guys, also, just let's all um, say thank you to Jim for how much she loves you guys and that she would uh, record a podcast even though she's sick when I wouldn't record a podcast when my kid puked on me. So. No, thank you to you guys. Like I said, this is the most fun I've had all week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're welcome. Um, so get in touch, you guys. We would love to hear from you. Um, you can find us on all the socials at Dumb Love Podcast. Uh, our website is dumblovepodcast.com. Our email is dumblovepod at gmail.com. And we would love a rate and review. Also, tell a friend. That would be so nice. Do all of those things. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum, da, dum, 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 dum,